1: LinkedIn, the place to be, to be.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
1: He says, somebody's in the
0: house, and I screamed. (laughs) Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Big money energy. As you know, on this podcast, I'm talking with super successful and self-made people to learn exactly how they did it, how they went from nothing to something, covering all their intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame obstacles on the way. And specifically though, I'm going to be talking to people who not only have big money energy, but those who understand what it means to wake up and actually get things done. And today we're talking to Jay Shetty. So if you care about, the power of wisdom, if you care about how money is energy, and if you want to know what it's like to live like a monk, and more importantly, to think like a monk so that you can find true happiness and peace and cut through all the bullshit that we have to deal with in life and all the pain and all the anxiety that we deal with. And all you entrepreneurs who are listening right now, you better stay on this episode because it is going to completely blow your mind. Welcome to another episode. Today is a very, very special day because I'm sitting down with none other than the J. Shetty. Jay, thank you so much for coming in.
5: Ryan, thanks for having me. This is awesome.
4: Yeah. Now, if you don't know who Jay Shetty is, then you probably don't have a phone or a computer. You're definitely not on Facebook. <laughs> you probably don't read books. Um, I, you might not even have a pulse. I, I don't know. But I'll tell you, Jay Shetty is an Indian-British internet personality, a podcaster, author, award-winning storyteller. He's a former monk, which I find really interesting, and he has a lot more patience than I ever will have. He's interviewed some of the most amazing people in the world, like Deepak Chopra, Russell Brand. He's been on the Ellen DeGeneres show Forbes thirty under thirty total game changer. You had a video on Facebook that was watched by three hundred and sixty million people. Were you you naked and dancing? No, I've seen the video. (laughs) There were a lot of cats. (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) cats naked and dancing with Will Smith. That is what you need, (laughs) and Ellen, right? That's what you got to do. I want to know how you create some of the greatest content in the world. And uh, overall, you have an insane amount of energy, which I really, really care about. And I think in the world there are two types of people. You know, everyone can be a hard worker. Everyone can be good, or bad, but you either wake up every day determined to get shit done and have great energy, or you don't. You're either making things happen or you're waiting for things to happen. Uh, And you are kind of like the pinnacle of somebody who's made things happen, starting from when you were probably a little kid, right? And going all the way into when you traveled around the world and your journey and even just being a monk. So the first question I have for you, and I was trying to think about how I was going to start this because I have like 50,000 questions for you. One, New York versus LA.
5: Oh, New York versus L.A.? Yeah, which one? L.A. Oh, get out! (laughs) I lived in New York for two years. I loved it. It was very good to me. I've lived in L.A. for two years. I loved it. It's very good to me. I prefer LA. I grew up in London. I'm used to grey skies, rain. Yeah, it's raining today. Exactly. You get and to so dress this reminds
4: Cool me... little Burberry. Thingy, yeah. No. You know no. 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 I mean?
5: I'm very happy at LA. I love New York. I love visiting. It feels like home. I love the people here. It's great. But LA's LA's home.
4: Where Where did you live in New York when you lived here?
5: I lived in on 23rd Street between First and Second. Interesting
4: location. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely first time New Yorker to pick that location. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, of course. Before. I moved to New York. I think I'd come here once with my family when I. I was like 16 years old. I'd never been back since. And then I had a realtor show me around and I worked for the Huffington Post when I moved here. And so I wanted to be close to the offices and the offices are 770 Broadway. So I was trying to be close to there so I could walk there because that was the easiest thing I could think of. So it was very strategically chosen.
4: Yeah, always. Yeah. My first apartment was chosen where I could be on top of every single train. And I lived right in Koreatown, right on 31st and Broadway. And it was, I wanted to be able to walk outside my door and get to any apartment showing that I could. Nice. How did, how did your realtor do, though, by the way? I
5: think they did pretty well, except oh, when I moved shit. to New York for, I believe it was about a month. Okay. I had to live out of hotels yeah. because my apartment wasn't ready. And I was, I mean, I was struggling. So I literally would check the hotel prices every day to get the lowest price. So I was shifting hotels like three times a week. Yeah. So I'd go to paying $65 a night to $50 a night to like $70 a night. And I kept trying to shift. So I had to switch hotels multiple times per week for a month. Yeah. Huffington Post should have paid you more money. <laughs> so
4: that, that, is that what brought you to New York? That job? That's
5: what brought me to New York. I'm really grateful. Ariana Huffington and the team at Huff Post at the time, 2016. Seen. They got my visa. They brought me over. They've seen my videos and they wanted me to create the same content for HuffPost. It exposed me to this incredible world that's out here and really kicked off my journey.
4: And so you credit those relationships and that platform to where you are today or?
5: Definitely as a first tipping point. I think in everyone's life, and you've probably seen this in yours too, like everyone has multiple tipping points in their life. Yeah. And so there were tipping points before that. That was a really important tipping point from a content creator standpoint. Sure. And then like, you know, meeting Ellen last year was a huge tipping point as well, like uh, going on Red Table Talk and doing stuff with Will Smith this year was a huge tipping point. So yeah. I feel like you always have more tipping points. And I think I'm grateful to anyone who's been a tipping point and everything in between, because guess what? There are a lot of people who led to that big tipping point. Right. And so I think you ought to be very careful to not forget the in-betweeners because the in-betweeners can often be forgotten and left behind. hundred percent. I mean,
4: you've built a, a massive brand, right? That's known around the world through creating content. What was your first piece of content you ever made. Do you remember?
5: Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. As in video content or content period? Uh, Video content. Okay, so video content was, I made a video called Three Lessons from the Bhagavad Gita. Now that's the book that I talk about in this book. Okay. So that was my first ever video. In Think Like a Monk. In Think Like a Monk. The first ever video I made was called uh, three lessons from the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is the one of the oldest, most spiritual wisdom texts in the world. It's based out of India. It's five thousand years old. And so I made this video and I uploaded it onto YouTube on third Jan 2016. I still remember it really, oh, really well. Man. And I was refreshing Hatched into memory. I was refreshing away. And I'd made it like three days before that, right? Yeah. Like I'd filmed it, edited it, shot it all myself uh, with my team. Who's uh, my friend who's a videographer in London? We were just out in London on the streets. I think we were out on like we're still. I'm still trying to remember if it was New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, but all I remember probably New Year's Day because the streets of London were empty. We could yeah. shoot in any location. This was proper guerrilla style. We had no permits, no license. We yeah, were just good. we were just shooting next to like St Paul's Cathedral and London Bridge and all this stuff. And we put the video out there. And I remember seeing the views go up, and then I realized I was just refreshing and watching. watching, <laughs> so my, was and watching my own you watching my video, <laughs> and then probably my mum was doing the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to get all my friends to see it. And I think it did. I think my first video did like five thousand views in twenty four hours. It wasn't bad at all, but it was, you know, it was just consistency, perseverance and and a lot of negative feedback initially, too. You know, there are a lot of people who are just like, RJ, you talk too fast, you know, or maybe you need to edit a bit better or maybe the music's a bit off. And I used to get a lot of that and I I took all of it in that I could. And at the same time, I was like, I'm not listening to that bit because, you know, that doesn't make sense. And I had to try and find my way. What did your parents think of it? When I started making videos? Yeah, your first video. I don't think my parents even cared. Really? <laughs> think, yeah, they didn't even have an opinion. They didn't think didn't it, it was like a thing? They, they didn't think anything of it. They didn't think it was good or bad. I don't think they even watched it. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I don't think they cared at the time.
4: Uh, so, I remember my mom, when Million Dollar Listing first came out on yeah. Bravo, my mom called me after the first episode. I was like, what'd you think? What'd you think? She's like, well, let me just say the things that you think are funny are not funny to other people. <laughs> and that like, I will never forget that because it was kind of like a, like she was like smacking me down mm. but it was kind of a compliment because I was like, oh, maybe I am funny on there. But then it wasn't. And then I could see like just kind of what you were saying. Like some people thought, you know, some people have a sense of humor, some people don't have a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like people in my mom's uh, demographic did not think everything that I thought was funny. Interesting. Was, have you kept making
5: those funny. jokes? Have you kept I, them in?
4: You know what? T- to be honest, it's interesting what you start seeing yourself on television yeah. or you make content, and you see what people's feedback is. I don't care what anybody says, it, it does affect you. Mm. You do realize, like, oh, I should probably uh, carry myself in a way that <laughs> that doesn't derive insanely negative hate. You know, I don't want to say anything offensive. So I'm not going to totally filter myself, but let me think things through just a little bit. More.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. Have you
4: thought about that at all? Do you, do you do content with a filter or no filter?
5: I mean, when I started creating content, we do a lot of different styles of content. So yeah. I think there's different styles. So I have a series called Inside the Mind on YouTube, which yeah. is very much behind the scenes. Follow me around. It's it's super open, it's honest, out. and transparent. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then I've got content that is scripted and casted and really created so that people can have a really amazing experience. Now, when I started making content, I had no idea that we were ever going to hit a million views, let alone billions of views. Sure. And so for me, I was just sharing my message to help the world, like you said, and serve the world in any way I thought. And I'm doing the same thing now, I don't see it's that's different, Yeah. but but my big goal when I'm creating a piece of content is, how is someone going to feel after watching this? Like That's the number one question I ask myself, it's how I feel about every podcast, every video. How is someone going to feel? And if they're not going to feel uplifted, if they're not going to feel like they've learned something, if they're not gonna feel motivated or amped, then for me, I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing something wrong here. Why do you care so much? Why do I care so much? Yeah, like why? I, that's a real question. Like yeah, why, absolutely. Why do you care about what people feel?
4: Not just to create good content that mm. gets good views, right? Because in the influencer world that we live in, you know, you, we live by view counts. Yeah. It is what it is. But why? Why are you making videos that are that you that change people's lives? Why are you making videos that are influential for people? Why don't you just do vlog type stuff, put stuff out there, let's see what happens? Like, why yeah. do you care so much about other people?
5: I think when you come across something in your life that you think transformed your life and was extremely valuable. I feel like you have a responsibility and a sense of compassion to want to pass it on and I think we're the same as humans with everything like if you saw the best movie in the world this week yeah. I guarantee you'd be recommending it to all your friends oh, for sure. if you've just heard a new album or discovered a new artist on Spotify you're going to tell everyone it just so happened that the artist I met was a monk Yeah. right so and I talk about the experience in this in the book Think Like a Monk where for me meeting a monk it's just one of those things like I met someone who I believed had the habits the routines the lifestyle the thoughts the ideas that transformed my life and I really believe they had. Yeah, And I feel it's a responsibility to pass them on because I see people suffering. I see people making decisions and then regretting them. I see people getting 30 years in a career and then feeling dissatisfied. And I'm like, that can all be avoided. Yeah. Or at least if it can't be avoided, it doesn't have to be as painful as it seems. Yeah. And so if we can do that in the same ways, I'm sure you're helping people find real estate quicker and easier and making it simpler. It's like all of us are solving a problem. And for me, if you've got some good advice or you've had a good experience, it's your job to pass it on.
1: That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
1: He says, somebody's in the
0: house, and I screamed. (laughs)
4: What was your first impression of of The Monk? Tell me about the monk.
5: So my first impression was, here's a guy with a thick Indian accent. He's wearing robes. He's got a shaved head. He does not look cool. He's not trendy. There's nothing about him that's attractive. I'm going to get really bored in this speech. (laughs) I'm going to go to a bar afterwards, and it's going to be great. And I've just got to sit through while my friends go through this pain. Right? Like, that's my first experience because I'm a kid growing up in London who thinks he's really cool, listens to rap music. How old were you? Uh, I was 18. And I think I'm, like, the best thing ever. Yeah. And what am I going to learn from, like, some monk who went from nothing to nothing and you know like what's he going to teach me sure and that's what I love about writing this book now is I was the person who looked at that monk and looked at probably even this title and go what am I going to learn from this book what am I going to learn and it's like that skepticism that It's so ironic when you take that skepticism and it gets turned into like this amazing belief system where you're like, oh, wow, like I learned so much from that one hour that he spoke that I was so inspired that I was almost surrounding him like he was the CEO of Apple or something and wanting to shadow him and spend time with him. And, and I think this is just a, a lesson that I feel for anyone and everyone. It's like when you get in, I'm sure there's a ton of people who approach you or are inspired by the work you do and would love to spend time with you. But maybe they're not saying the right thing. Maybe they're not doing the right thing. Maybe they're not getting the access because someone else had a better way of getting through to you. And for me, I was doing the same as wanting to shadow this monk. I, I would just believe that he had something that I'd never seen someone have, which was joy, which was happiness, which was genuine authenticity. I was of just ge-
4: going to say that authentic joy and happiness. Just
5: authentic- joy of just like not fake not fake i mean he's wearing saffron orange robes in the middle of a university and and speaking so comfortably without any like inhibition that he's being judged by a bunch of london kids who think that they're really cool and he's just so effortless and i'm like why why am i not like that right and so that's what attracted me to him
4: so what was your journey with him after that?
5: Yeah, so I, I took the very bold move of saying, I'm going to spend all of my summer vacations, half of them interning at corporate companies in London, because that's what I thought I was going to do. And so I was at financial companies and corporate companies doing analyst roles or regular whatever it was. Stuff. Regular stuff, or yeah. fairly successful regular stuff, or regular stuff. Yeah. And I'd spend the other half of my summer vacations living with him in India as a monk. So I'd literally go from suits- As you do. Yes yeah, right? suits, yeah. steakhouses, and bars, yeah. and doing the full work. And I was like, I'm going to test each lifestyle to its ex- lifestyle to its extreme, because to me, that's the. That, that's what the joy of life comes from. I don't think you ever have fun in life when you do something in a mediocre, half-hearted, in-the-middle kind of way. Yeah, no. Right? I feel like you have to dive deep. It's like, you know, the analogy is always given of the ocean. Like, if you really want to see the beauty of the ocean, you've got to go deep. On the surface, all you're going to see is like some little fish and some random colors. But if you go deep, you'll see more. And so, for me, I've always been that way. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be the best finance person in London, and then I'm going to be the best monk In India, and I'm going (laughs) to test which one works. And then I found out very quickly that you don't become the best monk. And I didn't necessarily become the best finance person in London. But I went through that process of testing. And after three years of doing that, in my breaks, I realized that I found the life of a monk more attractive. But I'd genuinely done the test. And the reason it was more attractive... Is because I felt that I was actually useful to humanity. Sure. We weren't just sitting there all day doing nothing. We were serving uh, the homeless. We were helping young children. We were helping the needy. We were doing service out in the world. And I thought, wow, this is the best use of my skills. This is the best use of my abilities. And when I'd come home from working a long day in a company, I'd just feel hungry, tired, bored, de-energized, and drained. And I was like, I don't want to feel like that. Every time I'd come back from the ashram, I'd feel like I'd found my purpose. How did that affect
4: your relationship to material goods, though, and to money and to success? How do you go from London banking world to uh, living with the monk to coming back to London and then going to New York and then going to L.A.? and? still having to make money and create content for a living and write a book and do the tours and all the things you do. How are you okay with that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I first came back, it took so much time to reintegrate and to recalibrate like what my mind said about these things. So I learned this beautiful principle as a monk, which I think I've got to, I've had an opportunity to play with and experiment with more since leaving. So we learned about how nothing is inherently good or bad. It's given, a, it's given meaning and purpose by how you use it. Sure. So we know that, right? This microphone, it's, it's inherently neutral. It's not good or bad, right? You can either speech uh, hate abuse and yeah. violence and racism or we can use it for talking about what me and you are talking about, yeah. and that's a choice. And so similarly, I think we've either tried to idolize or demonize things Money's one of them people either idolize it or they demonize it so they go oh money is everything money is God money will change your life and then the other option is no no money's evil money will make you bad if you're rich you stab people in the back and so we're very good at, as humans is labeling stuff as idolized or demonized Completely. and actually it's neutral it's totally what you do with it And that's why I love the title of your podcast big money energy because from a spiritual monk perspective Money is energy. Oh, bless. Money is energy. There we go. There we go. And so you're already thinking like a monk, Thinking like, (laughs) oh man, I had no idea this whole time. But money is energy. (laughs) And, And so if money is energy, are we using that energy for good? Are we using that energy for bad? And I think when you can live in that way, and in the book, I talk about three relationships you can have with money. Okay. So you can either have a selfish relationship you can have a sufficiency relationship or you can have a service relationship. Simple, selfish, we know what that feels like. It's all about me, money's for me, I'm just gonna get really greedy and rich and supposedly it's gonna make me happy. We know that doesn't work. Sufficiency, I've got enough, I don't need more, but I've got enough for me and taking care of the two people I take care of, I don't care about anyone else. And then service. I don't mind having more if it helps me serve. Yeah. And, and I don't mind creating more opportunity if it helps me serve. And so for me, the way I've been able to do it, and it took me a while because I grew up in a family where we always said we had just enough money. And so the mindset was always like, the amount of times in my teens where I had zero in my bank account, because I had just enough. I always had just enough to make the purchase, and then I'd be back at zero again. And I realized, I was like, that's just not a healthy relationship with anything. It's like me saying, I have just enough love for my family. Sure. I have just enough love for my wife. That doesn't make sense. Just enough gas. Just Just enough enough gas. Exactly. Just enough gas. Great example. Yeah? Like, just enough. And I have just enough data. I have just enough Like No one wants just enough. And so I had to really remold my relationship with money and with success and with achievements to realize I was simply an instrument, to realize that I was doing it for service, and and guess what? Hey, I'm not pure. Like I'm not saying 100% of my life is just lived for others. I need significance. I need to feel like I matter. Sure. I need to feel like I'm making a difference. Those are all personal things that I need. I'm just trying to engage them in a way that is helpful to other people.
4: But you also seem like somebody who's not okay with just being okay. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you, yeah. like you. And you have that energy. Yeah, absolutely. Whether that energy is tied to money or to faith or just yeah. to your, your ability to wake up and make things happen. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, I think I think we die when we don't learn. Like I think sure. you just I think you can just die early because you're not growing, you're not learning, you're not moving, and therefore we were just talking about it just now actually over lunch. Me and Matt were talking about it that it's not so much about a number. Like I've never had someone always says to me like when what's the number of books you want to sell? What's the number that you want to reach? I actually have never had a number. What I know is that I want to wake up and do everything within my reach to do what I'm trying to do, and if I've done that. And when I say everything, I mean... Everything. Like, have I really gone to every corner of the world? Have I really tried to touch and help every single person I possibly can? If I've done that, then I'm satisfied. And that's that's my personal metric of am I doing my best? Have you ever failed
4: at anything? Oh, loads, man. What's your relationship with failure? So
5: many. I've failed so many times. Like, I literally, so I talk about this. When I I came back from living as a monk, surprise, surprise, 40 companies rejected me. Really? Right? 40 companies. Shame on them for turning down a monk. I'm really grateful to them that they did that but 40 companies said no because guess what my resume said monk for three years like what's your transferable skills silence like you know what i mean like it's (laughs) like, like what's what's your transferable skills you can sit around for like eight hours a day in think like a monk i'm talking about how monks scientifically and there's a ton of science in this book scientifically have the happiest calmest and most focused brains on the planet of any human there's been studies done on countless humans, monks, and meditators have healthier, happier, calmer brains. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be healthier, happier, and more focused?
4: But they don't get to do anything.
5: No, they do. That's Sword. the point. Sword. We do. Yeah, we do. That's, that's why thinking like a monk, you don't have to live like one. And that's right. my point, that we get to use all of that. Yeah to actually make an impact, make an, uh, grow our businesses, whatever we want to do, we can all do that.
4: And you meditate every day?
5: I meditate every single day. Yeah, I've meditated every single day since I was 18 years old for two hours a day. So that hasn't changed. When do you do that? Uh, usually in the morning, but I travel a lot, so yeah. it, it becomes flexible. So I wake up at about six every day. I meditate from about 6.30 to about 8.15, 8.30. That's okay. usually my time, but I miss that sometimes. So I'll do an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And it, it, nowadays, like, it could be split up into 30-minute slots because sure. I mean, my life's just changing all the time, so. Yeah, but yeah. you just
4: gave a speech about stress and anxiety, and, yeah. and is thinking like a monk. Obviously, like common sense would say that you know, if you are at peace in your mind and at peace with your body, then you stress and anxiety can just be something that I guess comes and goes.
5: Yeah, well, the, see, look, no one can av- avoid stress and anxiety. Sure, but the, what the monk mindset does is you actually just deal with stress anxiety for less time. Okay. So one of my favorite examples- Oh, and, super productive. Yeah, and you've yeah. probably heard about this before. Exactly, there you go. So you've probably heard about this before, but I don't know if you've heard of Roger Bannister and the four-minute mile. No. So up until, like I think it's like the 1850s to 1954, okay. there was no one had broken running a mile in less than four minutes. Sure. For 104 years. No one broke that record. super fast. Roger Bannister comes in 1954, and he breaks the four-minute mile. He runs it in three minutes, whatever, like just underneath. And since that day, everyone broke his record. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing of like you may never get rid of stress and anxiety, but before you stressed out for seven days. Yeah. Now you stress out for one day. Now yeah. you stress out for one hour because now you just stress for one minute. it becomes relative, totally, and you've become able to actually process and reflect. So one of our biggest mistakes with stress and pressure is we just keep moving and pushing, yeah, and one of my favorite examples of this is just like you're married, so you know what this is like, yeah. and I'm guessing I don't know who's more ambitious or driven out of you and your wife. You're very ambitious and driven, but she could be more driven. How many times like how many times do you feel like you just need to grab their hands? Or their shoulders, or whatever it is. Anyone who's listening and watching, you know what I'm talking about. And you just go, "I need you to slow down so I can just talk to you, so that we can just." You sound c- like my wife. Connect, like, yeah. do I? Yeah, yeah great, that yeah. moment right there, yeah. <laughs> staring into her eyes. That I was, was gonna hold night. your hands too, but that I was last night
4: at 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what, 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 "What do you want to talk about?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 everything, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I got a lot going on.
5: <laughs> exactly, and that's so that exactly that is happening with our mind and body. Yeah, our mind and body is stressing out to hold your hands and just say, "Hey." I need to talk to you. And we go, no, 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 I'm busy right now. I can't listen to you right now. I'm so busy. I'm just going to keep moving. And so when you meditate, when you're still, when you take a moment, that's allowing your mind and body to actually go to, this is what you're stressed about. This is how to deal with it. Take care of it. And actually you can be more productive. Otherwise we can't hear that voice in all the noise of rushing around, right? Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure.
4: Tell me about a time maybe when you didn't have all this confidence and this courage that I see sitting in front of me right now, bright-eyed and awesome and full of energy. Do you even remember a time like that?
5: Loads, 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 loads of times. Uh, The best one that I can give the example of is when I just came back from living as a monk. So when I came back from India, came back from the ashram and I moved back in with my parents, it was probably the most depressive time of my life. This is 2013, so it's seven years ago. So it's not that long ago in one yeah. sense. I moved back in with my parents. I'm 25 going on 26. I have twenty five thousand dollars worth of debt because I went to university in London, and yes. thankfully it's not as expensive as it is here, but it's still expensive. And yeah, it's then like a semester here. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know it's painful <laughs> out here. When I think about having kids here, I'm like, wow. Like, uh, I get it. It's, it's hard. It's crazy. It's hard. And so I came back, and. I'm lost. I, I got rejected by 40 companies. No one would give me a job. I'm too overqualified for another job, and I'm now underqualified for the jobs that I would have walked into three years ago. And I'm feeling stressed. Yeah. And I'm feeling anxious because guess what? All my friends are buying nice cars, getting their first mortgage, and uh, you know, in a in a great relationship. And I'm five years behind them because I so felt left behind. I felt really left behind. I felt lost and I felt confused. And guess what? I didn't know where to start. I would literally come home and talk to my dad, and I'd be like. Dad, I I know that I can't rely on you guys forever because my parents aren't well off. And I'm like, I don't actually know what I'm going to do. Like, I have no idea. And so I remember being completely unconfident at that time and completely feeling like all my charisma and energy had just been snatched from me because I thought I was going to become a monk and then my health was taking a toll on me too because of the amount of pushing I'd done uh, on my sleep and experimenting with so many things. So I'm like... I'm just like both physically emaciated and mentally like just, I'd lost it. I really had lost it. I would have struggled to look you in the eye and have this conversation. I genuinely would have. And I know now it's hard to believe and I was like, oh Jay, yeah, like I'm sure that's true. And I'm like, no, trust me. Like literally, if you could talk to my friends from that time, they'll tell you that I wasn't confident at the time. And the thing that helped me build my confidence back up is I went to the library every single week and I would read self-development books. I would read the books that I studied as a monk again. I was so deep into like, what do I need to learn? What is it that I don't have now that's gonna help me feel confident again? I had to write 40, individualized, personalized resumes to finally get a job at Accenture that I broke into. And guess what? I was 26 and everyone was 21. Yeah. So I was already up against everyone who was younger than me who'd just come out of college. Yeah, but you were a monk. I was a monk. Like, it screw helped. those 21-year-olds. It helped. It, helped. You know? it did help. It did yeah. help. And, and what it helped with, and that's why those three years, I call them monk school, yeah. and the last seven years have been the exam. And I've passed the exam so far because everything I learned as a monk does prepare you for the life we all lead, yeah. So actually, I got to test all of it, and that's why I'm sharing what I tested in Think Like a Monk. Because I'm like, I've literally tested all this for the last seven years, that's your and blueprint. that's why I'm telling you about it. Yeah. Because I had to put it into practice.
4: The cover is literally, if you can, for those of you that are watching, yeah. this, the cover is blue. It is literally your. Your blueprint.
5: I love that. You're the first person who said that, and, it I, is. Know, and, I, and I never thought of that. Blueprint. So you know? I'm gonna I'm gonna say that in every single interview Fuck after this steal one. It, man. And I'm gonna say Ryan did it. It's Ryan a blueprint. This is no, that's great. I love it's the that. blueprint yeah, for how
4: to you know how,
5: it's the blueprint for how to think like a monk. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? but it's the it, blueprint of, of yeah. life's real exam. The real exams.
4: Listen, I, I can say uh, thank you so much for going through that, so that we don't have to, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. we got stuff to do, man. Absolutely. I'm on the 15 minute mark over absolutely. here. Absolutely,
5: no one needs to go live like a monk. You can just think like one, and it will change your life. But we, I mean. If someone's listening
4: to this right now and they're at a tough place in their life, or they're you know they just came out of school and they don't yeah. know what to do, or they got out of a bad relationship, or they fucking hate their job, would you recommend going to India?
5: I don't think you have to go to India. What I will say is you're going to have to do something different to what you've done so far. Right. And what that because means, what got wh-
4: you here won't get you there.
5: Correct. Right? Yeah. And so, what thinking like a monk means is how can you become more curious, open. And expand your mind to maybe entertain the idea of something that you have never entertained. Sure. Right? Like, I would never have thought of becoming a monk if I didn't meet a monk. Who have you not met yet? Yeah. That could inspire you to do something you haven't done yet. I love that. I, right? I, I, when people ask me what
4: what my job is, I say my job is meeting five new people every day.
5: I love it. That's there
4: you it. go. I don't sell houses, right? Yeah. S- how, selling houses for me and selling buildings and everything we do, and even making content and all that stuff is it is the the byproduct yes. of what happens when I Ryan Surhand, happens to meet people. Yeah. I know how to sell real estate. So when I meet people, I instinctually say. Do you need to buy a new home, right? <laughs> if I had your life, I would do what you're doing. Maybe yeah. something totally yeah. different. Exactly. Um, uh, and meeting more people on a planet full of 7 billion of them, right? I think is, is, is our lifeblood. Like, that's our job. I want to ask you one more
6: question sure, before, man, go before we it. finish.
4: Yeah. Is I because now I have you in my mind, uh, living on 23rd and first between first and second, yeah. trying to manage even before that your hotel bills, 50, 60 bucks a night. That's crazy to me. Even sitting, seeing you sitting here and what I know of you over the last couple of years, the fact that you were ever at that point with money, right, and with your own success in your life, like how did you go from nothing to? Who you are today. What was that journey? And I know it took a long time and it took a lot of hard work, but but like, what is that? What is that mechanism? Like, what did you do differently?
5: Yeah. I decided that whatever I was going to do, I was going to get really world class at it. Okay. So I wasn't, it wasn't good enough to be an okay public speaker.
4: Yeah, you're not okay with being okay.
5: Yeah. I was going to go out and become one of the best public speakers in the way that I saw what best meant. So that means I was studying stand up comics. It means I was studying the best speakers of all time. It meant that I was trained from 14 to 18 at public speaking and drama school because my parents forced me to go I want to really become same with social media I don't just want to be okay with social media I need to really become and excel at it and so for me that's the second step and I think that's the difference between following your passion and actually investing in it and actually living with conviction. On, yeah living with conviction so that was a big part of it The sec- and then when you've done that so much more opens up yeah. We don't realize that when you genuinely excel at something, when you put yourself in the upper group yeah. of a expertise, that naturally opens up connections. Networks everyone now all of a sudden is confident to say, "Hey, well, have you met Ryan?" Yeah. Did you know that he sold that property worth whatever it is? It's like, "Oh yeah, now now you should meet Ryan, right?" Yep. You've got you get recommended more. So that was one thing. The second thing I did was I've always, like you said, built relationships and I would never ask unless there was a very clear ask and there was a very specific ask and that person was the most specific person to ask for that. <laughs> I think half the time we ask for stuff, we're asking the wrong person at the wrong time. Yeah, for and my sure. point is a good ask is asking the right person for the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And if those three things don't align, don't ask, right? I, I've never not followed that principle. So if I wanted to ask Ryan for a favor, I would wait till he was the right time and it was the right person and it was the right thing I was asking for. So I remember at one point- You can
4: ask me whatever favors
5: you want. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Don't worry about it. At one point, I emailed 100 people the day after I decided that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, hey, these are my skills. This is what I think I could do for you. This is how we could work together. What do you think? Yeah. Right? And so it's like I went all in and asked a ton of people how I could support them. That year when I first became an entrepreneur, I tested seven different revenue streams. And there were two things I was testing. Which one did I enjoy and which one worked? Yep and I wanted to find the ones that matched. So, out of the seven- That is hard to do. Yeah. It's so hard to do. Yeah, and we test seven. Out of the seven, all of them worked financially. I only enjoyed four of them, which became the bedrock of what I did. So, one of them was my group coaching program online. So, I have my coaching program, Genius, where we have thousands of amazing members from over 140 countries that every week are learning with me and I'm live with them, coaching them, training them, guiding them. And it's been the most fulfilling thing that we've done. We even have meetups now in 100 cities in the world. So we have groups of people meeting up every week without me there. Yeah. And they're discussing these themes, networking, building enterprises, and growing together. So that was one of them. The second thing that uh, came out of it was videos. I love making videos. And Facebook finally kicked in with its ad strategy in yeah, sure. 2018. So, so that's been great. And then I had my uh, podcast. We launched my podcast. I love interviewing people. It's given me a great excuse, like you said, to sit down with people yeah. I wouldn't otherwise. And then fourth, we have my book. So I chose things that I love doing, the process, mm-hmm. and that it worked. And that was a big part of it. So for me, it's always been about rapid growth, try everything, test everything, make mistakes along the way, and just keep moving. And as soon as you find yourself being uncomfortable and you don't like something, you, you don't right. have to do it anymore. Like don't put your, I don't want to make money doing stuff I hate. Yeah, I just don't want to do that. And, and, and that means I've got to test more of what I love. So I've got to work harder on that front.
4: I have uh, just a few final questions that I want to ask you yeah. um, that I, this helps me get to know you just a little bit better and I think everybody else. What's your favorite
5: movie? Ooh, okay. My favorite movie is The Prestige by Christopher Nolan. Oh, that is such a good... Yeah, yes. it's amazing. That <laughs> yeah. is a good movie. Hugh Jackman, Christian yes. Bale, Scarlett Johansson. Yes, it is man. amazing. Man. Christopher Nolan, that is yeah. a
4: great, great movie yeah. with the light bulbs when they're turning on and everything. Yeah, it's got
5: like Tesla. It's got like, a bit of history yeah, in it. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah it's That's cool. so funny. Yeah, that's my favorite movie of all time. 2006. It's on the IMDb... Bucket list of movies. Yeah. It came out at the same time the
4: Illusionist came out at. With I Edward love that
5: Norton, movie too, which is great. That's and it came great.
4: out at the same exact time. It's like Hollywood always does this, yeah. right? They come up with an idea and they're like, "Oh, we got to do it." Yeah.
5: That's a really good movie. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. The Illusionist yeah. is yeah. great, but the yeah. Prestige is a little bit. And Christian Bale. Oh, you know, I just yeah,
5: Yeah, Christian Bale is my one of my favorite. I've got two favorite actors, probably Leonardo DiCaprio and Christian Bale.
4: Yeah. What's your favorite quote?
5: Ooh, my favorite quote. That is a good question. Yes, it's probably from the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, no, no. Ooh, oh, God. I've got a debate. Yeah, okay. From the Bhagavad Gita, it says better to live your life imperfectly than to imitate. The life of someone else is perfectly.
4: What's your favorite artist right now to listen to?
5: Right now, yeah, I'd say the person I listen to most is Drake. Yeah, I'm a big Drake fan. Yeah, same. I can listen to Drake in the gym and the car. Yeah. I actually love listening. That's all to Drake. we listen to
4: in the gym. It's yeah, always. It's I, like I, Drake, Future, and then Drake plus Future.
5: Yeah,
4: <laughs> <You know>? exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. every song.
5: <laughs> yeah, I say Drake. I, I'm a big. Uh, I'm a big believer too. I like Justin's new album. I'm a big fan of Justin Bieber. Yeah, so yeah. little
4: changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. great. It's a good album. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah, man. this has been great. Thank man. you so much for coming. Yeah, I can't wait to. Yeah, I think like a. Monk, by the time this comes out, it'll be out everywhere. You are everywhere. Where else should people find you?
5: Find me on Instagram, find me on YouTube, find me on Facebook. Wherever you are, I'll I'll try and be there.
4: Yeah, good. And find all the wisdom, man. You are the best. Thank you so much for coming Thank you, Ryan. I can't wait to interview
5: you, man. It's going to be fun.
4: I'll let you know when I'm in LA.
5: Absolutely. Please.
4: If you're ready to take action today based on Jay Shetty's entire blueprint for how he got to where he is, go to bigmoneyenergy.com slash podcast to download an action plan i put together for you as well as the show notes that's bigmoneyenergy.com slash podcast find more podcasts like big money energy on the iHeartRadio radio app or wherever you get your podcasts big money energy is hosted by me ryan serhant and it's produced by mike coscarelli and joe laresca and executive produced by christina everett